So just capturing little moments uh, in the life of a city. Uh, that's I like the idea of a city almost like a living organism, you know, and things happen. Things happen, and, and I try to capture them visually. Hello and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. This is a show in which I have long-form conversations with artists and sketchers who make on-location art of their urban environments. Today, I'm speaking with Gabby Campanario, sketch journalist for the Seattle Times and founder of the Urban Sketchers Organization. In the USK community, most people know Gabby or know about him. But for the longest time, I only knew him in the role of founder and also a sketcher. In researching this episode, I realized what a disservice it would have been to speak to him about only this dimension of his life. As I learned, Gabby has made an interesting journey to come to where he is today to do the things he does. For the past decade, he's been a sketch journalist with a weekly column in the Seattle Times. We talk about what that unique job title means and trace his path from sunny Barcelona to overcast Seattle, taking stops along the way. Over the minutes of this conversation, we crisscross over many years of his life as he focuses on the things that inspire him, art, storytelling, and the many intersections between them. Some of the decisions Gabby took in his life were circumstantial, some were intentional, and some entirely unplanned. All of them made him who he is. In that light, we speak of the virtue of pursuing your interests, but also the unexpected virtue of ignorance or in this case, not knowing enough to not try something. This episode is brought to you by the wonderful listeners who support my work. So thank you, Amy, Hedy, Diego, Paige, Andrew, Etienne, Molly, Becky, Rashmi, Mark, Megan, Dinah, Abhijit, Martha, Santosh, Ellen, and several anonymous others. You have all helped to make this episode happen. If you like my show or have enjoyed a particular episode, if something in these conversations has helped you in your artistic journey, with a simple click, you can now buy me a coffee. So join my burgeoning list of patrons and sponsors, use the link in the show notes to buy me a coffee, and also consider it an opportunity to start a dialogue. I would love to hear what you like about the show, and we can talk about how to make it even better going forward. Returning to today's episode, I guess I was trying to understand a fundamental dynamic between the two things that interest Gabby. So I asked him in various ways if the art comes before the journalism or if it is the journalism that makes the art happen. I guess I wanted to know if one of them was like a life-giving star and the other an orbiting, thriving planet. But his answer is deeper and the relationship more symbiotic. Without wasting any more time, let's get into it. Hello, Gabby, and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to have you here. I've been looking forward to this conversation since I started the podcast, and I'm so happy that we're finally doing this when I'm in the same time zone as you, just a few hours north of you right now in Vancouver. 
Hi, Nishan. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, I've been very impressed with the podcast and all the guests you have had so far, and I feel honored to be included. Gabby, in this podcast, I have this unique privilege of being able to probe my favorite sketchers and people who have influenced me so much and ask them about the things that interest me the most. And I'm fascinated at the prospect of talking to you because you do a lot of things with urban sketching that inspire me. In order to prepare for this conversation, I looked at your bio and I looked at how you came to start doing the things you're doing. And that journey is very interesting to me and I want you to share that. So could you describe to me growing up in Barcelona, how did you develop an interest in journalism and how did you come to be a journalist? Sure. Well, uh, this is going to require uh, going back in time uh, a few years. <laughs> so let's see if I can remember all that. Um, I uh, was born and raised in Hospitalet, is a little city outside Bar the Barcelona city limits. And when it came time to uh, chart a path for myself, I, I would be honest with you, I, you know, I, you're in high school, you're confused, you don't know what you want, you know, you have all these dreams. And my first instinct uh, is I like to draw, I like to paint. And you look at role models for yourself. And my art teachers were my role models. And I thought, ah, I'll be an art teacher. You know, this this looks cool. These guys paint on their spare time and then they come to the classroom and, and share what they know about art. But... Um, being uh, one of the few people, well, one the, the, being the first generation in my family to have the opportunity to go to college, the idea that I would go to art school, uh, that didn't sit well with my family, right? And, and also didn't sit well with my advisors at the Catholic school where I, where I studied. It's like, well, art, you know, art is, that's, that's, not, that's not a future, you know? Anyway, so I don't think I was very well guided at that time in my life uh, in pursuing my interests, uh, my, my primary interest. So the alternatives were, well, um, do I become, uh, do I study business or uh, do I become a lawyer? And then there was this strange system in high school when I was growing up in, in the 80s, mid 80s in Spain, where uh, your junior for your junior year of high school, you had to decide on a science track or a humanities track. So, um, and I was good at math and all that, but I, for whatever reason, I chose the humanities track, and I took three years of Greek, two years of Latin, and history, and things that I found more interesting, right, or just as as interesting. The problem with that is that that track close you to uh, study, uh, for example, architecture, which was another interest of mine, you know. So I kind of ruined my chances because by choosing the humanities track, you couldn't even apply to architecture school if you hadn't gone on the science track in high school. This all has changed, and I'm sure it's much better now. But, but that's the way it was back then. So journalism was also something that appealed to me because... Uh, I love the news. I love geography. I love learning about other cultures. And let's face it, journalists, I mean, from the outside looking in, it sounds like a really cool job. You get to meet interesting people. If you're interviewing them for a story, 
you get to travel and report on your experiences. So I thought, yeah, journalism sounds cool. I'll do that. So, so it wasn't kind of like that I have a, that I had an innate vocation for journalism. It just seemed something cool. And um, later on, when I got to journalism school, um, I, at the time I was introduced to, uh, I was always interested in print media. I, I, I didn't have uh, much of an interest in being on TV or broadcast or anything like that. Print media, the, 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 what you see in the newspapers, you know. Um, and also in newspapers, I always what call my eye first were the political cartoons and the illustrations because I like to draw, right? Uh, and when I got to um, the journalism school where I studied, this was in the in '87, and it was uh, soon after the Macintosh computer had come out into the market. Like Steve Jobs uh, released, um, I think the the Mac Plus. It was in '84 here in the United States, and by by '87, '88, a lot of colleges throughout Europe and of course here in America. Uh, were uh, using these Macintosh computers for educational purposes, right? And Mac- Macintosh also became a, a very important tool in the publishing business. The, there was this thing that was called desktop publishing, you know, and and you may remember. So so you could just load these programs in your computer on a 750k floppy disk. You know, you could have word processor and a layout uh, processor, and and basically put together your own magazine, right? And you could have this other program called MacDraw, and then draw things there as well. Uh, so I got hooked into this desktop publishing. Uh, in the journalism school, I became the design editor for one of for a magazine in in college, a magazine about current current affairs, and so that's how uh, the, the 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 graphic arts and the journalism started uh, f- uh, in, uh, coming together for me early on in my career while I was still in college. I don't know if I'm going giving you too yeah. much. Detail. I can keep going. No, this is very interesting. Please, please go on. <laughs> so anyway. Um, for a while, I thought, well, um, I, I, am I going to be a reporter? Because when you go to journalism school, it's all about writing and reporting. But then I found this other world of desktop publishing, of producing publications, and that kind of appealed to me more. And also at the time, in the late 80s, early 90s, there was another field in newspapers that uh, was rising, which was information graphics. Because of these programs that uh, were coming out and you could use in the Mac, like Aldous uh, Freehand, and you could draw maps and illustrations relatively fast, almost on deadline. And newspaper ha- newspapers had employed artists, graphic artists for many years to do these maps and these charts and all these visual information, but they had to do it with, um, with an- traditional tools, you know, like drawing maps by hand and things like that. Uh, so in the late 80s, there was this whole revolution about information graphics. And, and I remember I got my first internship in the news art department uh, at La Vanguardia, which is the main daily newspaper in Barcelona in 1990. And that was like, wow, I got an internship at my, basically the largest newspaper where I grew up, you know? So I was like completely starstruck just walking through the newsroom of that of that uh, newspaper, you know, because some of, I could see the columnists and the writers, some of them would be talking heads on TV. And there I was, the kid from the 
from the neighborhood outside Barcelona, you know, just uh, being in the same space, just sharing that space was was completely mind-boggling. Like, what, what, how did I get here? Anyway, so in 1990, I had my first internship in the news graphics department there at La Vanguardia. And it happened to be that, uh, I think it was August 3rd or August 2nd, if I remember correctly, uh, was the invasion of Kuwait by Iraq. Uh, and that uh, that's how the first Iraq war started. And maps and graphics uh, explaining the troops, how they were moving through the country and the different types of weapons and missiles and um, uh, fighter jets that the U.S. was deploying. All that uh, was uh, ripe to be told and explained through information graphics. So during that internship, I, I started working on those graphics. And that basically gave me a foot into the industry. Uh, after I graduated from college, I went back to that newspaper. It was 1992, the Olympic Games in Barcelona. So we were doing a lot of information graphics to explain uh, with drawing people swimming in uh, you know, the, the, the swimming events and who got first, who got the medals, medals, rosters, all sorts of things like that. Um, so in a way, I, was, I felt like at home in that professional field because I was in the media business. I was in newspapers, which I uh, always attracted me. But I was also using my design and graphic abilities. And that's what kind of set me apart from other folks uh, to having that, uh, that uh, interest in, in and perhaps more, more uh, ability with the graphic programs and drawing. You know. So that's how the two merge uh, um, at the very beginning of my career. That's really interesting. And I find it so interesting that, well, you were, uh, you entered this world at a time of great change with the coming of technology. Suddenly, all these new things were possible. And especially how you talk about the the first Iraq war and the influx of uh, illustrative and graphical work at that time is fascinating to me. Because coincidentally, this morning, I was reading an article about how back in the 1800s, the first uh, depictions of war started to appear in newspapers when newspapers were first able to even start printing pictures. So we are talking about how a hundred years after that, newspapers are able to finally have digital art or digital graphics in them. And I was reading this article about how the first time they were able to have hand-drawn art and illustrations mass printed, and they would send journalists and sketchers to war zones to cover the Crimean War, to cover the Boer War in South Africa. And they, uh, these guys would send illustrations back from the war front with these maps, with these drawing of soldiers. And that was the first time that people could could see that. It's, it's so interesting how uh, art and illustration and design has always been about communicating something important. And that's what often triggers their use, catalyzes their acceptance into society, just the need for information in different forms. Definitely. Uh, this is something that I later also came to research. Uh, and like you well explained, artists and sketchers were uh, the first news photographers. Um, so the work that is being done by photographers and videographers today, before that technology became common, was done by artists. And it came uh, to its heyday was the second half of the 19th century with the illustrated newspapers, like the London Illustrated News. Um, 
these newsrooms where the London Illustrated News at one time employed 60 special artists, 60 special artists who were sent to cover events uh, and to sketch on location. So days later, the readers could see these amazing illustrations uh, that depicted the scenes uh, from the battlefield or from from the docks near the Thames River, you know. <laughs> uh, but basically, uh, uh, artists uh, were tasked with that with that role, and they all became unemployed when photography <laughs> uh, became the main way of visual communication in media. And, and and it's funny because it coincides with early the tw- early twentieth century when also abstract art, the impressionist, you know, and then art becomes something else. You know, it's it's not. Uh, Art breaks away from the world of um, of, a, of being just a trade, you know, a profession, a job, you know, and it becomes like a way of expression and ideas and other things, you know, uh, as we know contemporary art is today. But anyway, I'm digressing now. I, we can go, we can talk more about the special artists of the 1900s because that's a topic that I've also been researching and is fascinating. It's it's great to hear that you were also you're, you're also so knowledgeable about this subject that I just got into. It's and with this influx of art and now with design, it's always interesting to me the way we combine words and images in order to communicate certain things. There's so many things that words are great for, but there are so many things that you can save time on as well as communicate more effectively with just a small illustration or a bit of design work. And words can never substitute that. It's more efficient. It's and in terms of a newspaper and any journalism, it's a more efficient use of space. It's a more efficient use of your reader's time. So it's an all-round practical thing to do. But that itself sparks so much, so much uh, good creativity and new art when we think about the design of our art and the 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 juxtaposition of words with images in order to say something and in order to you know, reach the viewer's eye at once. Definitely. I mean, uh, when you're telling a story, um, and writers say this all the time, you know, paint a picture with words, you know. <laughs> so I like to to paint the picture and write the words, you know, because then it's a double, double goodness, right? If you can do both, right? <laughs> I, I hope they pay you accordingly, every picture being <laughs> worth 1,000 words. <laughs> Well, this is certainly not the profession to make money. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me how uh, journalism for you and expressing yourself through design and digital graphics, how did that first intersect with what became urban sketching? How did you first feel the need to draw something and uh, on location? Right. Well, going back to how I was describing the early years in my career and how I got into the world of uh, newspaper graphics and design, that was basically uh, all I I did for until the 2006 in newspapers. I worked um, in 1998. I moved to California. I got a, a job offer uh, to be a graphics editor at a small newspaper uh, in Palm Springs, and that's where I met my wife, and and that's why I stay in America, among other things, right? <laughs> uh, so I worked there in, in California for a few years, and then I also moved to the East Coast, and there I worked for USA Today, um, which I also uh, uh, doing um, 
um, managing a team of designers. At that point in my career, I had basically got sucked into the management track. And I was um, at a point where um, as much as I love leading a team of designers and coming with uh, present- the presentation of the stories in the newspaper, uh, this was early 2000, so we still were not too worried about the web. Maybe we should have been more. Um, but that was taking me away from the hands-on illustration that I used to do when I was doing more information graphics, you know. Um, and I really missed that. And I guess I got the opportunity to join the Seattle Times in 2006 and basically take a step, uh, sidestep. I left management. Uh, and the reason uh, that I was attracted to come to Seattle was that I was offered just a news artist job. So I just it was going to be a staff artist. I was going to be able to create graphics, illustrations for the newspaper, and that was really appealing to me. And also coming to the West Coast, we I had met Michelle in California, and we we love this time zone. You know, like uh, when the world is already sleeping, you know, we're still hanging out here. You know, late. Uh, it feels like like a more laid back uh, experience. Anyway, so we came to Seattle, and you asked me how did urban sketching then intersected with journalism. And it happened somewhat organically uh, because urban sketching for me started as a hobby. It started like um, I was getting back to a job that was didn't involve management. I felt like my brain had been li- a part of my brain had been liberated, and I could now use it to be creative. And the first thing in my agenda was I want to improve my drawing skills. Uh, and what better way to do that than to sketch? The more you sketch, the better artist you become, you know. Uh, and I started, uh, I already had done a sketching on location. Uh, I mean, I, my, I, I always tell my first memory of a sketching on location was when I was a, t- a teenager in Spain. We would go to my family's hometown is in, south, in southwest Spain, a little rural village in the countryside. And during siesta time. I would just go and draw the village and the, there's a, these beautiful ruins of a castle. And I would see the time, the sun is like uh, blistering and, and I'm on the middle of the street because there's no cars drawing the, uh, doing an ink sketch of the castle that if you go to this town, you'll see a photocopy is a still frame on, on the bar that my aunt uh, and my cousin run in the middle of the town. So anyway, uh, I always had that inclination of drawing what I see. Just, it's, I think it's instinctive. It's human nature uh, to, like the caveman did with painting on the walls. You know, it's just human nature to want to re- record your environment visually. So I had done it on and off. And when I was in California, um, I had this f- photo I really like of Michelle and I. We are at the Getty Museum in in LA and and we're both leaning up against each other's back and I'm sketching the, the Getty building, which is really beautiful. So I always did it a little bit here and there, but not uh, methodically, let's put it that way, not, not on a daily basis. And then coming to Seattle was like, I'm going to do this like every single day. I had my pocket sketchbook, uh, kind of like Paul Houston said in his interview with you, like g- getting that pocket of sketchbook and starting to take notes and drawing uh, every day. That was the best practice I could, uh, one can ever have, right? Uh, oh, I, I, it's a great introduction into urban sketching. And while I was sketching all those new places here in Seattle, the city was new to me. I wasn't from here, right? 
So it was a great way to get to know this place where we were settling down with our kids. And uh, so then Urban Sketching basically grew out of control in my life. I was drawing every day on the bus as I was commuting to Seattle, uh, sometimes feeling two, three spreads of people's faces. Uh, and then I was getting home and I was uh, I started a blog, and which also the blogging thing uh, fascinated me. Because of my interest in because of my interest in publishing, having been interested in, in in like magazine design when I was in college, here's this digital tool that you publish your content and anybody can see it all over the world, right? And the blog format in particular, I found it really interesting because it was visual, but narrative and chronological. So you could create this log of experiences. So I still love the idea of blogs. I think that they are great, and it's too bad that social media kind of killed the blog, but the blog general, the blog format. Um, anyway, so I was starting uh, to publish these drawings of Seattle. And um, and basically this is when my urban sketching uh, in, uh, exposed me to other people doing the same thing all over the world who were sharing their own sketches also on their own blogs and Flickr. So here was this Spaniard guy from living in Seattle sharing his sketches online and finding others and communicating with them. Um, and basically that was kind of the, 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 the earliest start of, of the urban sketching community. And then the journalism and how did I bring that into my journalism uh, was something that uh, um, it just occurred to me it was late 2008 in the newsroom at the Seattle Times. The managing editor put out a note to all the staff asking reporters if they wanted to blog because we wanted to give the website more, uh, uh, have a, a stronger presence of our reporting and the website through blogs because that way reporters can give readers kind of a behind the scenes or publish brief stories, brief notes that wouldn't make it into a regular story. So I I worked in the art department, so I wasn't a reporter, but I thought, well, I have a blog already <laughs> on my spare time. And so I pitched the idea of starting my, of basically doing what I was doing on my spare time, doing it as part of the newspaper. So I guess I gave them a really good sell and they said, sir, we'll do this. We'll give you a blog. And and what I didn't know what I was getting into, really. I mean, we can talk more about it. But um, not only my art director, she was great. My team, they, they gave, decided, oh, you can have your own blog. We're going to put you in the paper every Saturday. And I go, okay, wow, in the paper too. That's great. In the print edition, right? And just like that, April 28th, 2009, my first column appeared in the paper on Saturday. And I've been doing it since. So... It's been 11 years or more than 11 years. I took a five-month break in 2006. But other than that, every week I publish a column or a blog post or whatever you want to call it. And if I had known at the time what the week-after-week deadline pressure would mean, I don't know. I think I would have been more scared. But sometimes it's good to be naive and... (laughs) That's why I completely agree. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it's good to not know the obstacles because eventually when you reach them, you are possibly going to find a way to cross it. But the prospect of thinking about it is more likely to discourage you and you might never do the thing at all. 
So a certain degree of ignorance is so helpful in order to get things done. That's been my life philosophy. I got into podcasting without quite knowing how much work it's going to be. I start and it's so nice to hear, you know, I just released this episode in which I talk about how the best kind of experience talking to urban sketchers is not when they tell you something that you never thought about, but when they tell you something that you have also thought about, because that gives you that confidence that your ideas are not bad. They can also be, they also occur to others. And this is the different ways in which they also do the same thing. Because I started blogging also, I think, relatively the same time that you mentioned, like 2005, 2006 is when I started blogging. And I was just fascinated by this idea that I could type things out and anybody in the world could read it. And there was no social media, but we were finding blogs nonetheless. And people were connecting to each other and people were connecting to each other through the work that they made. And it wasn't uh, like I try to explain to people that there was no money in blogging. There was no idea that you could earn money from writing or putting something on the internet. So everybody that you met who was doing the same thing was also doing it just because they really, really wanted to do it. And that is such a nice way to connect because everybody is so sincere and earnest. Yes, those years felt really authentic and genuine, you know, um, for the reason you just said, people were not trying to become quote unquote influencers. People were just genuinely sharing their knowledge and wanting to learn, wanting to connect with others. So I don't want to sound like uh, oh, only uh, back then things were good, things are great, okay. But but yeah, certainly th there was that that atmosphere that uh, in the in in the in the cyber community cyberspace. That was fascinating. So, um, so yeah, that's basically how uh, then the urban sketching entered my job, and and as I told you, I don't I don't know what I was getting into. Kind of like with urban sketches, I also was like, oh my gosh, what am I getting into, right? Um, and sometimes it's impossible not to have self doubt about things you've done in the past, right? Because I tell myself, well, what if I had not uh, proposed? Uh, bringing the sketching into my job, uh, would I enjoy more or less now? Now that it, because also it's true what they say: when you turn your hobby into a job, it's not a hobby anymore. Uh, so sometimes I feel uh, I miss a little bit of that hobby feeling that oh, and now I can shut down my computer from my work and then go do the fun stuff, you know. I've mm -hmm. kind of lost sense of what's supposed to be fun and what's supposed to be work. <laughs> so, but anyway, I try not to overthink it, I guess. I, I, yeah, it's, uh, I was just talking to someone about this, that uh, we always overthink about what, like, especially if you are trying to make your art, your work, then you overthink about uh, every decision you take, whether this is something that I'm, is it a smart decision? Is it something that's good only because I want to do it? Does anybody else care about it? And then comes the other thought that what if nobody else cares about it? Am I not supposed to do what I want to do? Isn't that the whole point of making your art, your work? So that overthinking aspect is just so true for all of us. Yes. But the only relief is that the, the time that we spend drawing is a time where those thoughts don't come in. Like that time is a very pure time which we get that we spend with the paper and the pen and the skill and the what we are seeing and that's that's it. I also love how you described 
how you got into how you revived urban sketching as a way to get back to your art because it was exactly the same for me i was in chicago and i had left my academic career in order to be a writer and i thought that i want to also be able to draw better because i make comics on the internet and i thought okay i'm in this big city it's a beautiful city and it's full of people and i don't know how to draw people so i'm going to take my sketchbook and i'm going to walk around and i'm going to draw things and hopefully if i draw a lot i'll learn how to draw things <laughs> and that's how urban sketching came for me and then we moved to wisconsin and i was in this little town where i had never imagined what a small town life in usa is like that world was completely alien to me and sketching then became my way to understand the world and to see what is a cafe what is a bar what do they mean when they hang out in the park what do they do in winter and summer all these things that i learned about that part of the world was because i put myself out there because i wanted to sketch things and maybe if i was not a sketcher maybe i would not have ventured out to so many locations would not have met people would not have shown people my drawings a lot of stuff wouldn't have happened if i didn't try to if i didn't try to make it my job like like you mentioned like if you make it your job do you lose something but in my case i feel like making it my job making it my job to sell art to present my art to people to make it something that people care about it helped me to reach out to people and speak to them and hear from them and i would never have done any of those things if i was just drawing for myself and if it was you know part just a hobby for me i don't think i would have like so many experiences would be lost tell me how like in this early internet when you know you have blogs you don't have social media yet tell me how it occurred to you that it would be a good idea to start a an urban sketchers blog and have guests who write for you on it write to other people and bringing people together this way how did that occur to you and what was the process of setting that up like well this is something that um happened uh, a little bit also because of uh, my interest and my background in journalism um when you put together a publication uh, a newspaper or uh, i'm going to talk more about newspapers because that's what i know you need contributors right and these contributors uh, newspapers are usually geographically based uh, for a city and they cover uh, different topics and different neighborhoods uh when you get to the world of international news uh you have your own like the newspaper i worked for in in barcelona in barcelona la vanguardia is very well respected by its network of correspondents all over the world who file reports about what life is in the united states or in china wherever they are located right so after a year seeing uh, the community start to bubble up on flickr uh, where we were just all posting that's where i started it posting drawings I kind of was thinking, well, what if we all these people, you know, what if we put the drawings all in one place? So in a way, what I was creating at the time is is an editorial product uh, that was a curated product of sampling the sketches that were come that people were producing in different parts of the world and putting them all in the same page online. Uh, that's that was kind of my intention, you know, when I started that blog. It's like, okay, and I was very uh, at the very beginning. I really wanted to get, I wanted to get really uh, talented artists and storytellers 
but also diversity, both in gender and geographic, in age, you know. So, so this would be kind of a at least as much as possible a representation that that shows the world one drawing at a time. That was the the catchphrase of the slogan uh, of the website, Urban Sketchers. Uh, see the world one drawing at a time. And, and it says see the world because it's addressing an audience who doesn't necessarily have to be a sketcher. Anybody can see the world one drawing at a time. You don't have to be a sketcher, right? The sketcher shows the world. The audience sees the world one drawing at a time. So that was kind of my vision for the blog. And I started, uh, and then when I kind of, when it all came, it all came back to my, it all kind of, Gel in my head because it, it was going to be a year since I had started the Flickr group. I started the Flickr group in November 2007, so it was going to be November 2008. And I thought, well, it's going to be a year. Should I try to do something? You know, uh, I don't know. I guess I was restless at that time in terms of creativity. You know, I should do something else. You know, or I should try to take this one step further. And I thought, oh, what if I just write? to a selection of these artists who I really enjoy, who are very well all over the world. And I invite them to a website called Urban Sketchers because before the Flickr group was just Urban Sketches. It was not defining the people who make the sketches, but the sketches themselves. So um, so I just thought, oh, I'm just going to start writing to them. And I remember this very, very clearly because it was... Uh, October 7 or something like that, when I sent the first uh, message, group message to all of them, and I asked them, I'm launching these on November 1st. Like, I was, I was almost like bluffing, you know, like, hey, guys, November 1st, I'm, I'm starting this blog. Are you in? And I, I really had developed some sort of an online relationship with enough of them that I thought like, hey, they couldn't say no. They already have their own blogs. They already post every day on their own blogs. All I'm asking them to do is post your stuff also here, right? So how hard that could be, you know, uh, at that time, you know? So I was pretty confident that enough of them would say yes. And to get them to buy in into the idea, I said, if you want to be in, you need to send me a photo of yourself, a sketch, and a brief bio of what is unique about drawing in... uh, in Rome or in New York or in LA, wherever they were, right? And I remember I remember this artist, Samantha. She was based in San Francisco at the time, but she's from, from Turkey. Uh, and Samantha was the first one to reply. And she's originally from Istanbul but, and, and gave me great written bio. And then I just posted it right away. Meet the correspondent. And another one came in, meet the correspondent. So the other people I had already emailed were seeing these introductions come up on the website. So they could say, well, this guy, this guy is serious. Yeah, he's not just waiting to compile all the, all the bios and the star. He, he looks like he's serious. So every day I was posting a meet the correspondent introduction, trying to kind of build up some momentum like for November 1st, right? And then I also just quickly um, drafted a press release, you know, uh, and my wife is an editor, so she also helped me edit it. And and I said, Urban Sketches um, group, uh, artist group, group blog or something like that captures life around the world through hand-drawn sketches or something like that, you know. And then I said, artists, correspondents from many different spaces are joining efforts and creating this website. And I got a few write-ups in other blogs and other places. So people started, uh, you know, uh, 
I guess, paying attention and going to the link, going to the URL to see it, you know, especially on November 1st, right, which was the big announcement. So by November 1st, in a, basically in a couple of weeks, I had assembled, I think, 30 artist correspondents. And some of them were in London. There was uh, uh, Lisbon. You know, many of them are, are people uh, you've, you've come to know that are still involved in the urban sketches community. Some others came a little later, like Fred Lynch, Paul Histon, Suhida, because I kept recruiting, you know, after that first push for that November 1st. I, every month I would add five or four or five more correspondents until I got to 100, which was the limit on the blogger platform. And by then, by then, the website was super animated, you know, like the first day there were 25 drawings on the blog. The first one came from La Pen in Barcelona, you know, La Pen. Uh, he put a drawing of Casa Milá. Uh, and the next one was from this artist, Zinia Vasiliev in uh, Moscow. He put a drawing of the uh, Red Square. Uh, and just like that, one drawing after another was showing up. 25 drawings the first day from different cities. And you could see them. This was the beauty of the blog format. You could see them all one after another. So uh, come in, into the screen as opposed to going to Flickr and clicking here and there. I don't know. It was just kind of a neat, a neat platform, I think, to, to do that. Uh, the idea perhaps also came because months before, this was in the back of my head, months before there was this website in Spain um, which had put out a call for citizen correspondents around the world. Uh, they were looking for Spaniards who were living in other parts of the world to blog about their experiences there. And I thought, oh, I will also, um, I, I'll volunteer for that. But I'll, I told them, do, would you like, guys like if I do a sketches and writing in Spanish? And they said, yeah, of course. So I became a, a citizen artist, sketcher correspondent for this website in Spain, the website uh, didn't last more than two or three years. I don't remember. Uh, but anyway, it was it was uh, a, a well operation, at least at the beginning. So I was doing also drawings and doing my write-ups in Spanish and sending them to them for that website. So basically, this was kind of doing the same thing, but, you know, uh, but with artists all over the world. Uh, and basically, yeah, telling telling the stories of our places. So it was it was it was basically a storytelling platform and it still is that the blog of course is still there uh but that's that's and and this i think just gave the community more visibility than Flickr, and everything started to snowball from there yeah there is like i i asked you this question from the point of view of community building because you know now the internet has enabled us to form communities in so many effective ways there are hundreds of different apps you can use and different ways you can connect on different subjects it's all nicely regulated and compartmentalized but in a lot of ways it is just as difficult as it was back then and a lot of people still hesitate so there are so many good lessons in what you said like starting something with enthusiasm, with curiosity, and reaching out to people who share that curiosity. The idea of taking things one step, one step, one step, rather than thinking 20 steps ahead and getting intimidated of, you know, the idea of what you are trying to create per se. Like, I think a lot of people wonder about how, how they are going to scale up or how big something needs to be. And they feel the need to have all of that charted out before they take the first step. But it's so important to just keep moving one step at a time. And you like you you called it uh, like you said it so nicely, you called it like a bluff. But as soon as you got a correspondent, you put that up. And 
that first step like taking that initiative it can catalyze so much it makes it so much easier for other correspondents who might have been on the fence maybe they were a little uh, confused about what you intended and whether your intentions were true and you would actually follow through on them and simply your taking those steps might have catalyzed them to yes be part of this thing and sending in their bio and then that catalyzes other people to send in their things and be part of like the enthusiasm becomes infectious in that way and it all comes from one person chasing their enthusiasm one person chasing their curiosity and doing something with it and that to me feels like such a useful thing even today for different people who are in scattered parts of the world and they are sketching or they are for, trying to they don't know how to form the community they don't know if they have the right to start a community they don't know if it's okay to just message people and ask if they would like to be part of a group yeah i do think um i i don't want to by any means take all the credit of what i did back then because it was just the right time and i was at the right place um they say uh sometimes i mean this is to make an analogy with another industry is like uh when paul allen and bill gates started microsoft well if they hadn't started microsoft somebody else would have started microsoft they just happened to be at that time in the development of technology where uh, computers you know had it just that thing was bubbling, so it was kind of a, they were there at the right time, and of course they they they, they should take credit for it, you know. But uh, with, with urban sketches, the with the community, the moment the internet and blogs and those platforms were there, it was just at the right time where these uh, where the seed was planted, and it was able to grow with a lot of enthusiasm from many volunteers who then joined the organization, of course, and continue to volunteer. Um, and also because of this wave of connection that comes from the internet. I mean, uh, there's so many like-minded communities that follow a similar timeline. You know, everybody who loves to build Legos, they found each other and they have their Lego communities. Everybody who likes to do um, some crafts, you name it, you know, they've all found each other. We've all found each other <laughs> by now. So uh, that was, it was bound to happen. And there were other communities of sketchers and uh, out there, but for some reason, this one uh, became the one that survived that first wave. I think there were other blogs that didn't survive uh, because maybe it was just a few guys leading them and they, their interest changed and they moved on, you know. I, I, with Urban Sketches, I just wanted to plant the seed, do as much as I could and, and let, let, let the community and the organization that we started continue with the effort that anybody else wants to put in. Yeah, I think that decentralized attitude that, you know, planting the seed and then uh, letting it take its form, that's so important to letting things grow. And that's when the possibility of it growing bigger than any single person's imagination becomes possible when you allow the enthusiasm of different people in different places, in different stages in their life, with their own influences, come and then take, make something out of it. How did you first see like this enthusiasm catch and then different people are expressing it and slowly the def definition of urban sketching and what it is to contribute as a contributor, that's slowly, slowly changing as different people with different ideas started to contribute. How did, how, how did that go? Well, um, 
I don't know. I, I guess that's kind of a deep uh, subject. And the definition of rarification always gets a lot of um, people talking. Uh, it's, I think it's, it all comes down to place and connection with a place and um, your intention of um, when you are drawing. I think the intention, it's, it's very important. You know, what are you making the drawing for? I think, um, I, I think for me, perhaps the, the two things that encapsulate what a sketch is or, or an urban sketch, the way I see it is, is something that captures a sense of place and a sense of time, you know. Sometimes you can do a sketch that captures a sense of place, but it's like you could have done it any, you know, any day, you know. It could have been, and it's just the same, you know. Uh, so I think the, the storytelling intent, at least for me, was very key from the beginning. I know that has evolved, and, and I think you can do urban sketches that are, there's not that, the storytelling is not the primary reason. Uh, uh, the aesthetic, uh, the beauty of the drawing you're creating, that's the purpose, and that's fine too. Uh for me, it was just the storytelling part that it is the storytelling part that always uh, appeals to me more. Uh, I understand, like that that kind of uh, that sort of the feeling I also have, and I love this about our community that you have people who derive different things from being urban sketchers. There are people who clearly uh, are in it because they want to improve their art. And their objective and their goal or their vision of their art is not necessarily restricted to urban sketching, but might be other forms of art. But urban sketching then becomes one of the tools with which they improve, one of the tools with which they learn to see more things. And then there are people who are, you can see that they're not merely trying to be better at the technical act of drawing. They are trying to be better at communicating something through their drawings. And that can happen even when you are not you know, you don't have to be great with perspective and with the human form in order to tell a good story, in order to say what you are seeing or to communicate what you are seeing. And you can see that as well. So I love this aspect of urban sketching that we can see how different people are coming into it with these different objectives in mind. And by achieving those objectives or being seen to pursue those objectives, they inspire other people to try to do those things. I see several artists who inspire me not because of the way they draw or the the drawing, the what you could call as the, the beauty of the drawing itself, but just by what is it that they chose to draw. That is inspiring to me. How did they look at a busy street scene and then think that this is my subject, this is my background, this is where my details are, this is where my details end. That kind of choice making is so fascinating to me because it tells me about them and what they what they are looking at, what they are finding beautiful, and that story becomes so useful to me. No, what I was going to say for me, um, if there is an ingredient that I would say is essential uh, in urban sketching, and I try to convey early on in the community, is the element of sense of place. So when I and sometimes I've also said, you know, if you can put the sketch on a map then it's an urban sketch. You know, you can pin it on a map. Uh, your cat sitting on your couch, you know, that could be anywhere. <laughs> That's not on the map. So it's a beautiful drawing. It's done from observation. But can, could, would you call that an urban sketch? I don't know. That's where the gray area, I don't, you know, uh, begins. So 
place for me is important. That's why early on in the blog, you know, you, you see the people who I invited to join, James Hobbs in London, he draws London. You 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 can see there. Uh, Simonetta in Naples, you can see Naples through her drawings, you know. You get that sense of place. So that's, to me, what I um, what appeals to me the most, you know. Uh, when I see your drawings already, you're doing in Vancouver through your window of the people at the park, you know. I, I, I'm starting to see that city through your eyes, you know. That's, that's to me, what's all about, seeing the city through the eyes of somebody. But if the city is, or the place is not there, then, then uh, it's a still art, it's a still observational, but then it becomes, to me, maybe not so much. Uh, it loses that, that sense of place that I think is key to urban sketching. But anyway, we don't have to do not have to dissect the, the definition because, like you said, I, I, anybody can interpret, uh, take their own approach and their own spin, and that's that's good too. Yeah. Um, now you know. Now we're in twenty twenty one, and now there are so many me- forms of media that we regularly see. Whether we are any screen we're looking at, whether it's the television, laptop, or the phone, or something else. But there's there's GIFs, there's photos, there's videos, there's reels, there's TikTok, all kinds of formats assaulting us all the time. In this kind of uh, media age, what is the role of a sketch? What's the purpose? What is the value of a drawing in such a intense time? Well, that's that's a really good question because sometimes I wonder about that myself. You know, um, I think. Here's here's the the way I think sketches are still important, which I think that's perhaps what you're trying to go with the question. You know, why do why does sketching matter, right? What uh, what's the point, right? Uh, like you mentioned that you know you were at the right place at the right time with starting the the blog, starting a, a contributor's system on the internet. But one could also argue that you were at the absolutely wrong place to talk about drawing and sketching because this was the age of taking videos, taking photographs, uh, doing digital art. So yes. in a lot of ways, you were at the, what some could call the wrong place at the at the wrong time. Like it had, yet here we are, we're seeing this resurgence of value in sketches. Where does that come from? Well, I think there is, I love new media, don't don't get me wrong, but I think there is something genuine about the simple form of hand drawing, right? And the simple form of storytelling through words. I mean, those are time-tested uh, forms of expression that are never going to go away. I think uh, what makes the sketches important, or at least what I tell myself to motivate myself, <laughs> is that the audience you are reaching, when they see a sketch, they engage with that picture in a way you will never engage with a video, with a GIF, or with any other uh, type of media. It's just different. It's just the reaction is different. And I see when I get emails from readers who tell me, oh, you sketched this park and I immediately remember that's where my fiancé proposed to me back in the day. And they tell me about the story of when they got engaged. Uh, or, or a store that was just demolished and they tell me how they remember going there with their kids. So I think the sketches, um, 
for once, because they are incomplete visual representations, they let the viewer imagine the rest. Not everything is in front of you. And they connect with us more at, at, at an emotional level. Uh, and in a way, they feel they can feel more authentic uh, than you know me sending you a photo of something I saw, because I did it myself. And drawing is also a physical art, a physical uh, activity, you know, that you do by hand. So I think that's why it's important because we connect with that media in a different way. The the the, the audience does connect in a different way. So that's why. It's also important to put your work out there and to show it and to show the world one drawing at a time because people are going to see it and people may be tired of hearing about, let's say, climate change or homelessness. Now tell them a story about these uh, homeless encampment and who lives there through drawings. Maybe that would move their hearts in a way that a hundred stories on... uh, CNN will not, you know. Um, I guess that's that's to me why we can all have uh, many forms of media at the same time. It's the same way with radio. I mean, when TV came, they said, oh, TV is going to kill radio. Radio hasn't died. People still like to listen. It's just a different experience. So that's what the sketches do. It's a different experience. Uh, I completely agree with what you're saying. Uh, I think of it from the point of view of a former engineer and I was a control engineer. So a lot of what I would think about was information. And that's how I see all media as different forms of information. There's a lot of value to video information and there's a certain amount of information that uh, a photograph carries. And because we see so many photographs now, like if you'd send anybody a photo of the Leaning Tower of Pisa while you were there or the Taj Mahal or the Colosseum, everybody has seen every photo. Nothing really registers as such. Nobody is wowed by a photograph because all of this information is given to us. The second thing I find interesting is that a photograph captures all the information it can. It captures all the colors. It captures all the lighting. It captures all the people and everything exactly where it is at the moment that it was taken. But what a sketch offers, and you also said this exactly, what allows people to emotionally connect with a sketch? What allows people to put themselves over there and then add their own story to the sketch is the fact that it does not give you all the information. It gives you a part of the information that the sketch artist at that moment in time felt was useful or that mattered to him. And therefore, by giving you this selective little bit of information, it allows you to add more information to it, to give more value to it, to connect with it in some way. You can see yourself over there. You can see how that hill would have gone down, what the details in the hill were, because the sketch artist has not given you every single point of it and is not. Your participation with a sketch can be more active than your participation when you admire a photograph or a you know watch something as in a video format. That's that's how I felt about it. And I've also been fascinated so much by how when I was in Wisconsin, I would make a sketch of the park. And I'm trying to sell this uh, print of this sketch to people who have lived in this in this area for decades. They grew up here before there was a park. They saw the park open on the first day. And then they would come and tell me that you have shown me the park in a way that I never saw it before. And this is where I was married. This is this uh, amphitheater area is where I would go with my ch- the child when he was very young. And you have shown me that. 
And that's how I started thinking about this, about what is it that I'm offering them with my sketch of the place that they know so much better than I do. I've only been here for one year, but they see some value in how I show them their world. Yep. It's all about connection with place. Yeah. Uh, so as working for the Seattle Times, you are doing the same kind of thing. You are uh, putting out regular sketches and you are talking about experiences around the city. Can you tell me how uh, some of your favorite stories that you've been able to cover as a, as a, as a sketcher and journalist? Boy, um, well, I think there's many different ones, uh, boy, that come to mind. I mean, from from an experience experience standpoint, uh, I've told this one before. Um, I once had to kayak for like a couple of hours. <laughs> I had never kayaked in my life to <laughs> to get close to this old ferry. Which was going to, uh, which was basically listing on a water channel near Tacoma here uh, in the Puget Sound, and to make the sketch of the ferry and uh, basically give an update of what was happening with this ferry. It's a ferry that was built in the 1930s, and it was like an Art Deco design. And at one point, uh, people in Seattle in a poll said that. This ferry called the Calacala was uh, just as important to Seattle more than the Space Needle, you know. Yet the ferry has gone in disrepair and it's basically abandoned. And this guy owns the ferry and he's basically, he's uh, spent all his money trying to repair it, but unsuccessfully. And he is living out of a trailer next to the ferry. And he was there when we arrived, when I arrived with the kayak with this other guy who happened to be a Seattle Times reader who said, I will teach you how to kayak and we can go there together. <laughs> so, uh, and, and this was in February, I think, uh, a few years ago. And, and then on the way back from the kayaking, I was so exhausted from, from the drawing. And, you know, when you're drawing and sketching and interviewing people, it's just exhausting. I mean, let's face it, you know, a lot of people think this urban sketching thing is all fun. And it is, it can be fun, but it can also be exhausting. <laughs> so let me say that. Uh, it, it really takes all your energy when you are in the moment, especially, at least for me, in those circumstances where I'm trying to respond to what's happening. Like all of a sudden I'm there sketching the ferry and the owner comes down and wants to know who the heck I am. And why am I there? And then you don't know if people will like you or hate you or kick you away. Who even knows? So anyway, and on the way back, I was so exhausted that my kayak flipped and I ended up in the water. And this was February and the Puget Sound is like always super cold. Fortunately, the, the other guy had brought, I was wearing a dry suit and, and he was able to to rescue me. I mean, I flipped the kayak back, and, but it was it was an ordeal. So I don't know. I think that's kind of a memorable. I mean, you asked me what are the most uh, most uh, things, I guess, uh, uh, stories that I have covered. I've done things like uh, I, this one is one I enjoy. I, I I found out that in Seattle there is this one street, only one street, that connects Elliott Bay on Puget Sound, which is salt water, with Lake Washington, which is a lake of freshwater. Right? And there's only one street that goes from one side to the other. And then you think that you think the people who plotted the streets early on would have put more streets all the way across, right? Uh, 
But of course, the, the topography is one thing. It's very hilly, almost like San Francisco. But um, it, it, go, it all goes back to history. You know, when, when the early European settlers arrived, they were on one part of the bay and there was nothing in between. Or, and then on the other side of the bay, of, of the land, of the mass of land, uh, was um, a guy who started a resort, you know. So the guy who started a resort, he was in the interest of his own business to connect his resort with the downtown of the time. So he paid for the road himself, I think. <laughs> and that's it's Madison Street in, in Seattle. So I I I I did a full page of the sketches uh walking Madison Street, you know, and uh, sketching the different um intersections and talking to people and kind of learning the history about this stretch of the city. So that, that was a fun one that I did. Last year I did another one that I also enjoy which was in Seattle, as in many urban uh, metros, uh, you've started to see a lot of people using um, what they call um, personal transportation devices like e-riders, uh, unicycles, and electric scooters, you name it. There's a whole source of gadgets, and they become very popular here in Seattle with the tech crowd, especially. Uh, so I, I tracked down how many of them, 10 of them, each with uh, using different types of of devices, and I met them and sketched them and interviewed them about why are they using these devices and and is Seattle a good place to use them? And uh, so that was that was a fun, more longer time project uh, on a on a weekly basis. You know, one day I can be sketching uh, like uh, the construction progress on light rail, which is is as a big issue here uh, in. Recently, I was also sketching a metro bus driver, uh, asking her about her experience driving the bus during the pandemic. Uh, so just capturing little moments uh, in the life of a city. Uh, that's I like the idea of a city almost like a living organism, you know, and things happen. Things happen, and, and I try to capture them visually. Um, I don't know if I answered your question. What are the, the stories? Do, do you think? Do you think when you're doing this, do you think you're cheesing the sketch, or do you think you're cheesing a story which you then end up sketching? What is it? The sketcher in you that comes out first, or is it the journalist just simply going for a story? I think the story plays a big part. Um, I and and that's what is more stressful about producing a weekly column. It is because I know many places that I can go just sit there and do a pretty sketch, but then what do I, what am I going to say about it? That is that is the hardest part for me. What am I going to say about this, right? So I always like to find a sense of time, a sense of timeliness. Like I was at a park recently, and that would be kind of a typical place that you would go to do urban sketching in the city, a park with great views, right? But why did I go to this park? It's because it's a new park. It just opened in October. Very few people have gone there because of the pandemic. So they may be interested in that, you know? Um uh, also, last week I was um, b- after all the protests uh, in Seattle over the summer of people uh, following the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis and advocating for racial justice. There's been a lot of tension with the police here, and the police uh, station in one of the neighborhoods where there was a lot of uh, conflict uh, has been surrounded by these concrete blocks, almost like a fortress, and sometimes. I I see that and then I go oh that could make a good, a good column and then yeah it's things that I come upon uh, by serendipity by being in the neighborhood 
sometimes uh, I have a plan beforehand. Um, and sometimes, um, like, you know, sometimes I, I have to plan for them. Like I went to sketch a COVID-19 testing site. So I can't just show up at the COVID-19 testing site and say, hey, I want to sketch, right? So I have to find the the, the press officer for the health department and, and do some some legwork. Uh, it's it's evolved over the years what topics interest me, but I always try to keep that uh, sense of place and uh, sometimes it's uh, a sense of community. Uh, it can be uh, going to a, a, a BMX track where people ride those bicycles, the BMX, and, and, and that is also not very well known in the community and then talking to the riders uh, or going to a uh, neighborhood garden and meeting the gardeners who use that that garden to grow tomatoes. There was this garden, uh, this is a good one. The, the city built a garden, a public garden, on top of a building garage <laughs> because they were not, you know, it, it's a neighborhood that is very dense and the neighbors wanted to have their own public garden and said, well, we'll put it here at the top of the garage. So that, that was interesting. So, yeah, I'm always basically trying to find interesting things. <laughs> Yeah. Is that is that search motivated by things that are interesting to you first? Or do you try to center it away from yourself and think about what is the reader of my column interested in? Well, I have to, I mean, the idea of sketching uh, viewpoint, uh, not only as an artist, but as your own uh, stand on, on and reaction to places is important. So I do try to give my own viewpoint, but sometimes... Um, sometimes I just describe the scene, you know, without getting into, you know, uh, into what my personal opinions may be about a subject. I am not, sometimes I talk about, you know, and this is, this is also fine. I, 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 I am not an activist sketcher, you know, like if I, I sketched the protest this summer, you know, because journalists and newspapers, we, uh, you know, it, the, the, the ethic code of journalism is that you, of course, we know that objectivity is not important. It's, it's, uh, objectivity is impossible. It's very important, but it's impossible because you're always doing it as yourself. But you have to remain an observer. So I see myself as an observer. I, uh, not as, a, you know, uh, if I have a personal thing in my agenda, let's say, like, I, I want to save uh, animals, uh, so I'm going to go sketch these, these rescue operation and then I'm going to explain there how I believe in this. I'm not going to do that because as a journalist, that, that would conflict. It would be an ethical conflict. So basically being an observer, uh, sharing how I feel about a place, you know, you can still get your own viewpoint there in certain things. Uh, but it's certainly... Um, subjects related to the quality of life in the city and um, what it feels like to live here for me as somebody who didn't grow up here. Um, that's often my viewpoint. Like I said of the COVID, in the COVID-19 t- testing column, I said like, uh, you know, the drive-through culture of America that you, <laughs> it's like, it's always seen like, I mean, come on, you know, you, you, you can go to the ATM, you can go to the coffee espresso without, leaving your car is so i never thought that it would take uh, a health 
drive-through testing site to convince me of why uh, drive-through culture can also be good, you know, because, you know, getting a vaccine on a drive-through or a COVID test is, is super convenient. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I so agree. Like I have had that same uh, like reaction when I heard about drive-through cafes or drive-through food pickup and things like that. That why why do you why can you not simply get out Walk. of the car? What is the <laughs> need to not you know not get like somebody has to come and give it to you or somebody has to give it to you out of the window? But yeah, like this COVID drive-through testing is just such a beautiful thing, and it absolutely puts it into. It like it. It's the best advocates advocate for drive-through centers of any kind. Like now, I get it. Right. This is why right. you would have exactly. drive-throughs, and COVID is the perfect environment in which even drive-through coffee pickups and food pickups make so much sense. Now I, you know, this infrastructure is here. It's part of the culture of this country for so long that it wasn't. It's not even a you know. You don't have to convince people to start doing this, or it doesn't have to occur to somebody that maybe we could try this. Yeah, there's also, um, after a few years of doing this, I also started to identify certain topics that lead themselves to a sketch storytelling, perhaps better than others in, in, an, in, in the life of a city. So one of them is also hidden places, you know. We all live in cities or grew up in cities that uh, we get caught up with our daily lives and we forget to explore them. And a lot of what I do sometimes is just going to a place that people miss out, that they didn't know that. You know, for example, in the campus of the University of Washington, there is a medicine, medicine uh, herbal medicine garden that has been tended by, um, by the school, uh, one of the colleges there for, for 100 years or something like that. So it's a beautiful place to just go for a walk and it's very hidden and maybe people don't know about it. So those are great uh, give great, great opportunities to for sketches you know uh another one is history you know everything you know the urban environment is full of history like they say if an old building um, uh, could speak you know the stories you would tell right so anything that has to do with the history of the city leads itself to a sketch a sketch journalism sketch journalism and then people and places communities what people do uh, small businesses uh interviewing the bookseller who is struggling during the pandemic, you know, that's another great story for a sketch. Yeah, these are these are actually these are actually great points because uh, I was attending this uh, this uh, I, uh, Instagram live talk. I was just listening in on this conversation and this was in the Urban Sketchers group of Mumbai in India. And they were talking about how they go uh, they are about collaborating with uh, groups that organize heritage and history walks that appreciating sites of history and places that are 300, 400, 700 years old in the case of New Delhi or Calcutta and there are sites that are, there are bungalows which are 200 years old and now they're in a dilapidated condition in people are living around it for so long that it's not something special. They don't think of it as part of history. They see the ruin of that, what used to be a historically significant monument as something that is simply present today. It's part of their present. It's not part of the history. But by by sketching there, by looking, sitting, and you know, just this, like I feel like the biggest advantage of being a sketcher in all of these places is just that you sit down and you look and then you look at it again and again and again for one hour or half an hour even. And that 
that sustained look is so important to bringing that appreciation back even if you've been a resident of that city forever if you would just sit in that place for half an hour and look at that one old brick on top of another old brick it would generate that fresh enthusiasm for it and i love that uh, there's this possibility now of urban sketching groups exploring the history of their own cities through sketching activities mm-hmm. yep that's that's and, and of course everything that we're talking about when you do it as a group you know then gains a whole new dimension which is very beautiful yeah yeah so as as a journalist now what are your do you have any like big plans of things that you want to achieve with with the idea of sketching and you know reporting through through art through drawings what are some possibilities that you see for going forward that you would want to do well i don't have any uh, particular plans uh, for myself i mean just continue uh, doing what i'm doing and i mean this let's face it this has not been an easy year <laughs> um and uh for me i just sometimes you know as i said before i guess any artist goes through this you know you have self doubts it's like well is this is this how i need to spend my time uh, in terms of my art because uh you could shift in other directions at any given point right uh So I think I just want to concentrate just keep keep working on I mean I have a job I have a family uh, my kids hopefully soon go to college and <laughs> and move on um so just keep doing what I'm doing is 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 good enough for me as a as a goal for the now um I I kind of miss and have always had the itching of um creating or re-engaging basically with what my original idea for that urban sketches blog was you know um i see so much potential for uh these are for to become more established in the mainstream as as a way to tell stories and i don't think we're there yet You know how publishers like Drawn and Quarterly in Canada or uh, Fantagraphics based in Seattle what those publishers did for comics and graphic novels uh I think needs to happen for urban sketchers the only country where I've seen that is France where the Carnet de Voyage movement is huge and uh you have all these professional uh carnetists Uh, or sketches you could call them um although some characters may work from photographs but it doesn't matter the, the basically there's all these uh, artists that uh at a professional level are using drawing to tell stories and that exists in France but here it's just a hit and miss you know you have one artist publishes a book another one publishes another book it, it, there's no there's not a good effort put towards uh giving um sketchers an outlet that reaches a lot of people and i'm really excited to see what uh the usk talks for example from the urban sketches folks i mean that is fantastic what they're doing with that um 
So sometimes I have this itching, oh, I want to throw myself back into that and, and start emailing artists like I did back in 2008 and let's, let's do something great, you know. But, but I'm missing that naivete that I had at the time. I'm missing that, let's just do it, right? Because I'm older <laughs> and, 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 I, uh, and I have other demands also. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it will happen. Maybe somebody will, you know, will get excited and say, "Gabby, let's let's do that." Yeah, yeah. That's that's such a great point. And like, of course, you uh, like. There's sometimes when I'm sure that when the idea does occur to you, you will chase it with the same enthusiasm that you started the blog and you started the the movement because you know, like we often like the having ideas and having enthusiasm for them is the best way to completely forget about what age you are at. And I think those things just stop mattering once that, once that thing takes hold of you. So I'm eager to see when, when you're able to formulate this idea into something, because I'm sure there will be many people who are eager to, to, to leap on another train, to start another thing, to, you know, be part of another vision. And I, I agree with you. There's so much that urban sketching and urban sketches and drawing on location can still communicate to us. If anything, our world is changing even faster than it has ever changed before. And whether the job is to document things before they leave us forever, whether the job is to document the act of this change or to share things that that would otherwise get lost because there's so much happening and there's so much to you know take our attention away, to distract us there's so much scope to to tell stories through through drawings and i hope that anybody listening who has a bright idea maybe they start something and they get this courage from our conversation from listening to your experience that you know just just have to if you have an idea if you have a thought don't think about the obstacle just start doing things right well, let me, uh, if I can, and uh, of course, you, you're managing the time, and I know we've talked for a long time, but let me turn the tables on you uh, and, and ask you, do you think uh, it's viable, uh, a project that would uh, be basically the equivalent of those, like Journal Quarterly, the equivalent uh, for the urban sketches? Do you think there's viability to that? Uh, because... Um, like with the comics, and you, you you know a lot about comics, and that's that's your one of your main areas of interest. Comics, uh, there, there there's there's also non-fiction comics, but comics for the most part and graphic novels are fiction, right? Even if they are current, they're fiction. Urban sketches is not fiction. Urban sketching is very much eyewitness reports, visual eyewitness accounts. So I I, I do think uh, the uh, non-fiction sketching is kind of the area that still hasn't um, materialized in, in the publishing industry. So do you think that could happen or that is worth pursuing? Can I call you when, when can I call you up whenever I have the idea better thought out? Yes, uh, please do that because that is something I very fervently believe in. And in fact, uh, I haven't shared this uh, on the podcast before, but one of my life's ideas is that this is the kind of thing that I want to pitch to publications like Fantagraphics and Drawn in Quarterly, that uh, there is so much of how, you know, just like a short story, like think of just a short story and it could be nonfiction in the sense that you describe your day. 
and it can be profoundly uninteresting like nothing special happens but in the form of a drawing it is special because in the form of a drawing the act of drawing our life is the act of bringing something of interest out of ordinary things and very basic things and these ordinary things are what we share the most with other people something unique that happens to us something extraordinary like you see or you climb a mountain that is something that happens to one in a million people maybe but the ordinary things are what we share the most with everyone and if there's something that we are uh, lacking these days in as 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 a as a you know as human society is the appreciation of all the different ordinary things that happen to us and i see urban sketching as the way to to shine a light on those things and to bring some beauty back and appreciation back to that and in that regard like when i i self published a book uh, in 2019 about the things that i saw in oakler and it has sold so many copies now and my pitch to every person who's bought it is just this that this book has nothing special in it this book is just about everyday things ordinary days ordinary people doing profoundly ordinary things but if you look at it and if you look at it from another perspective than just you know than just being distracted with your phone or going about your life then you will find that there is still something of beauty here and that is something that urban sketching has the potential to bring out and that is something that it it's non fiction it's not it's there, there is no pressure to create a story here but there is a story that comes in expressing those things to us so i i firmly believe in it i practice it i try to practice it in my work i try to make non fiction comics of four or five panels of something that i witness uh and those panels are all drawn as urban sketches so certainly if you have any ideas for formulating it if you want more brainstorming sessions to formulate it let's please do that together i would be absolutely in yeah well maybe 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 we should do that just have a big brainstorming put our heads together and and i just see so many people who out there who are uh want to publish their work and there's no outlet for them and publishers uh uh i don't know i think i think we have a community that we could do this on our ourselves yeah and and you know this is a good point too what you said that you can approach publishers but most likely you will not generate interest from publishers because the simple nature of uh, mainstream traditional publishing is that there has to be that financial return for them and the investment on their part and the market that they would like to appeal to is always broad so when i was self when i was trying to put together this book about this little town of 60 70000 people in wisconsin i knew that it's not going to interest any publisher why would it interest anyone it won't even interest anybody in the next town why would a publisher care about this so i went the self publishing route because i knew that even though there is a small market all of this market really really cares about these stories i think going forward more and more people and this is the, and you know this is again the right place and the right time in this coming decade we are getting so many ways in which creators of different media like whether it's drawing whether it's art whether it's videos or you know tiktok videos whatever you are directly reaching your audience there's no middleman there's no industry and you are directly also monetizing through your audience so it's the time for people to be able to 
tap into an audience which is not in the millions not in like hundreds of thousands even just 1000 people 2000 people care about your work it is and care about the story you want to tell i think we are reaching a point where it is possible to tell those stories and it is not a waste of your time or money to do so you can generate an income you can communicate to people and you can make an impact yes it's true i mean uh, the publishing tools are at anyone's disposal and you can break through um on your own um so i i i i think um joining forces in that effort um it's as i said at the beginning something that's kind of the the part of the urban sketches early years that i miss and maybe we'll see we'll see what happens yeah yeah and on that note uh, we have reached the end of my my questions list for gabi and thank you so much for gabi for teaching me about these early days about your experiences i have learned a lot from this conversation and i i think you have given once we release this episode you will give inspiration to so many people who are trying to do things but then they are their own worst enemies and they just stop for some reasons Yes, well thank you so much for having me and uh I really admire what you're doing with this podcast. Uh I think you're going to uh continue to have a lot of happy listeners and I just can can see what you will be doing next and and it's an honor to to be um, on your guests. I took great courage from Gabby's story of moving from one ladder to another. motivated by his curiosity and his interests he's carved a niche for himself as a sketch journalist but doing so took many years of small steps actions and decisions he founded the urban sketchers blog and the larger organization and that has grown from a few dozen contributors connecting over flickr to a thriving community of over 200,000 people all over the world at every turn all he did was take one small step and then one more and then one more that's how you climb a mountain it's how you run a marathon and it's how you complete a pilgrimage it's a good lesson for me so i hope it's also a good lesson for you follow gabby's work using the link in the show notes there you will also find a link to sneaky art both my instagram and the website on the website you can access a transcript of this episode If you liked this episode, consider leaving me a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever other service you use on your device. Finally, there is also a link to help you directly support my work by buying me a cup of coffee. That's all from me now. I'll see you again in a couple of weeks with a new exciting guest. Thank you for your time.